Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Hi, and welcome to... Anachronismo! The historical comedy podcast that brings you weird stories from history and makes jokes about them. That's pretty much it. You know, the normal thing. A quick update. We have a live show coming up November 3rd. Previously, we'd said that this was going to be at the Democracy Center in Cambridge. Unfortunately, they've had a last-minute cancellation, so we will be at the YWCA. So find us there. Still November 3rd. Still the same time. The Eventbrite link on our Twitter should be up and running, and you should be able to get tickets for free, and we're going to be happy to see you there. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's Wait, launch... What We had to actually be moved for democracy. They oh. decided to give the Democracy Center over to a campaign, and that's why we got kicked out. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. you know, so it's there for an infinitely better reason than our dumb show. It's there <laughs> to actually um, help with the upcoming election and voting. So, yeah, oh, get out there and vote. I know it's Halloween today, but the scariest thing is not participating in democracy. Democracy. Boo. Uh, yeah, so welcome to our Halloween episode of Anachronisma, where we're not actually doing any spooky stories. Uh, to compensate, we're all going to sound like ghosts. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. And I'm Noel. And joining us today is... I'm Bebek. Boo. Boo. Oh, thanks for leaving me out to hang, everyone, <laughs> with doing your best ghost impression. You uh, went third. You could have stopped. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was coming, Noel. Okay, fine. I'm Max Boo. Jackie. No. Okay. <laughs> no. And joining us is. I'm a very spooky looking Vivek, but I don't sound like it. Oh yeah. Just yeah, he's that. wearing a full ghost costume. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all we're all dressed as various monsters. I'm dressed as a Dracula. Uh, I'm dressed as a Frankenstein's monster. I'm dressed as Dracula's mirror. So I'm just a window pane. <laughs> Maybe Noel was a ghost all along, and we never knew. Yeah. That's what it was. We were both doing the same costume. It's tough. It's a little awkward. Spooky. Yeah. Well, the costume is his life. So it's like you wearing it as a costume is or just a mockery. <sighs> it's a little just... appropriative of me to do this. I'm, mm. I'm so sorry. Mm. But... It's fine. Oh, if Noel's a ghost, that makes my whole life really tragic. <laughs> <laughs> or really funny. It'd be a great best-selling Nicholas Sparks novel. That's very true. Yeah, it'd best sell. So our stories this week are... Yeah, it's a story called Doing a Bradbury. And I've reached into the recesses of history to 2002, into the faraway land of Australia, to bring you a story about um, where the phrase Doing a Bradbury came from, which is a phrase used in Australia. Yes. Um, So I'm going to be talking about Margaret E. Knight. Um, also known as Lady Edison. Because Lady Edison, because she was full of electricity, or... Because she stole the ideas of others and smashed up their warehouses. Because <laughs> she used uh, the hair of dock workers for unintended consequences. Or the bulbs named after are the harbingers of gentrification. Ooh. Ooh <laughs> <laughs> um, Nope, she was just a very prolific inventor, and she did the opposite of what Noel described. I see. <laughs> huh, so she's an anti Edison. Yes. An, or an aunt Edison. <laughs> for our American <laughs> listeners. <laughs> uh, she's an inventor in her own right and mm. shouldn't be a gendered version of a different inventor. Yeah. <laughs> so Thomas Edison should have been the male Mrs. Edison. Yeah. The Mr. Edison. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Himself. (laughs) He's the male Mrs. Edison. That's right. And that's what we'll refer to Thomas Edison as forevermore, because it's far more convenient. (laughs) Um, Should we guess what doing a Bradbury is? Oh, yes. Yeah. I want to say that it is traveling to Mars and going through a series of adventures to topple their empire. Wow, you nailed it in one. That's actually not what it (laughs) is. Hmm. Oh, I want to say it's a renamed skateboard trick. Like, it's an ollie, but they just gave it a different name so people would be more impressed. Yeah, make it sound more Australian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's close-ish, actually. Oh, I was going to say something surfing, so maybe I'm going to stick with that then. Some weird surf move. Okay, so uh, it's... <laughs> no, nope, It could no. be. It could is be. It, Depends is it, on what kind of surfing thing it is. You want to elaborate on that? No. It's that's just, all I know about surfing is, is just, that... 
it is a thing. Is it's, it tricking it, a kangaroo onto a surfboard? Just because it's Australia doesn't mean it's a kangaroo, right? It's okay. actually a kawaka. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Those eat slender leaves, right? You know, they yeah, they've got a cute little face. Oh, but they look yeah. great on a surfboard. They do. Yeah. yeah. But you can only they can only do it one time and then, then they're dead. Get another one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll just Is it a tandem surfboard? No. Okay. I will just tell you so we can move on. Um so doing a Bradbury <laughs> is basically achieving a victory or a success in a very unlikely way due to a series of just unlikely circumstances. Like Mr. Magoo is like a Mm. Doing a Bradbury all the time. He like oh. he should be dead like multiple times in every episode, right? But he yeah. always gets to his spectacle shop. Or doing a massive Bradbury. He just yeah. does a Bradbury every time. Mm. Or, uh... I should be dead right now. He's actually right here. Oh, my stars and garters. I fell in a manhole and I broke my neck. The agony is paralyzing. I'm Mr. Magoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he sounds like. <laughs> All right, so, well, the story about how this came to be a thing, it starts all the way in 2002 mm-hmm. in the Utah um, Winter Olympics, the very famous one mm-hmm. run by governor of Massachusetts, Mitt Romney at the time, I think. Mm-hmm. More like Mittens Romney because it was the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's from Michigan and it looks like a mitt. Uh, oh, I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, no, it, the story starts... When he's younger than that age. Baby Romney? Not Ben Romney, but uh, the man Stephen Bradbury, who I'm going to be talking about today. Okay. So, uh, this well, story... I will be picturing if Mitten Romney does come up as a baby. Just a steely-haired, gray, like steely gray-haired baby. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what he is. <laughs> okay. So just picture like a very straight-laced Mormon fellow if you can't picture what a Bradbury might look like. Mm-hmm. So um, this story... Is about how Australia won the first and greatest Winter Olympic victory. Oh, I know this one. You know this one. Okay, I think you might all know it when I start telling you this story. Mm, probably not. Probably not. Okay, well, oh, let's so see how excited. it goes. Okay. Steve, or Steve-O, as he's known to other Australian drongos, he was just a regular boy from Camden, New South Wales, which is just about 60 kilometers outside of Sydney, mm-hmm. which is... I don't know how many furlongs for Americans, but um, (laughs) he grew up just as a suburban kid. His dad was actually one of the best speed skaters in Australia, which is saying nothing (laughs) because there's no snow in Australia. There's maybe two mountains that have snow peaks. So this is not really a thing. I'm one of the best kangaroo fighters. Ah, See, they come up in America. Yeah. Hmm. I could do anything. Yeah. Say anything about that. And you're nationally ranked because... The competition is tough. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty tough. Well, it's, it's all kangaroos. Because <laughs> America has kangaroo on kangaroo fights, but not kangaroo on person fights. Separate leagues, separate weight classes. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Max is still number one. That's right. Undefeated. <laughs> he dresses up like a kangaroo to win the kangaroo version. The trick is and then he gotta... gets beaten up so badly. It's just like one of those <laughs> MMA fights where the kangaroos just got you by the head yeah. and just bunching your costume off. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the trick is you got to bring a weapon, but uh, yeah, no, I get my I get my ass handed to me by kangaroos on the ridge. <laughs> on the ridge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you really didn't need the costume every time. Just, no, they, like, they caught on pretty quick. Yeah, they know who you are. They just <laughs> let you get beat up. So yeah. can I ask a question? What's a drongo? A drongo is like, I don't know if we're allowed to say hick anymore or like redneck. You can say okay. those. Yeah. Like, I mean, you yeah. know, it's not great. Yeah, I know. Also, I'm, redneck comes from a labor revolt, I believe. Kate would know more about this, where they were like redneckerchiefs. I thought it was a sunburn thing. Nope. Wow, you learn something every podcast. Mm-hmm. Jeff Foxworthy is really defamed the idea. My mouth is full of research. <laughs> you might have to Great do a second take on that one. No, I'm keeping your phone. <laughs> yeah, like a, a drongo is like a true blue salt of the earth. Like they might work in the plumbing industry or they might drink a six pack every now after they come home from being an electrician. Yeah, yeah, that's that sort of thing. Okay. A blue collar yeah. worker with uh, yeah, they're blue collar, but also they're unpleasant. And that's mm. separate from being a blue collar worker. They're mm. like they might try to start fights at pubs. Okay, they might think uh, we're letting in too many uh, non-white immigrants. Oh, okay, we've got a word for that. Yeah, yeah, an asshole. Yeah. yeah, so like that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I don't know if Steve Bradbury would be described as an asshole mm-hmm. or an asshole. 
An ass how. Yep, yeah, exactly. Beautiful uh, Australian accent. Because <laughs> he did grow up in Camden, which is like a fairly well-off place. And also his dad was engaged in a sport that is very expensive to play in Australia. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you got to bring the ice in from local mountain. Mm-hmm. Mount, okay, I can do this. Mount, Mount Australia. Mount, Mount, Mount Australia. That's what it's called. Damn, I, was, exactly. I got it right on the nose. <laughs> there you go. I knew the name of that Australian mountain. Yep, Mount, Mount, Mount Australia. Yeah. And so <laughs> this young Camden boy, Steve Bradbury, he describes himself as an adrenaline junkie. One day watches a game, a match, I suppose they're called, mm. a speed skating match. And he realizes that's what he wants to do. So he decides to compete in a championship at the age of 13. And he basically walks home with a medal because there were only three people there and everyone got a medal. (laughs) (laughs) It's Australian speed skating in the 80s. It's not a lot of tough competition. No. But why did they even hold the contest if they were going to have that few people? For the love of the sport, no. Because then you can make a little local news story about the winners and get more kids to sign up for skating lessons. Mm -hmm. And you can also eventually send an Australian team to the Winter Olympics, which is what happened. Mm. But was it was it a popular sport to watch? Because I'm just still imagining that there's like three people that participated, but only like 10 people in the crowds. I bet that's what it was. Yeah. It's just their parents and... Their coaches. And the local like sausage shop mm. guy. He's got a sponsorship deal with the rink <laughs> for his innovative cold sausages. <laughs> he actually had a sponsorship deal with... The supermarket in town. So that's just the kind of tough business it was. Yeah. And apparently shoplifted from there still. So wait. <laughs> so his father still shoplifted from these. No, no. The grocery Steve Bradbury store. himself. Steve Bradbury himself. Still shoplifted from the store that was sponsoring his career. Ah. Wow. wow. And that's an Australian drongo. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what they do. Yeah, so I like to he, imagine he just like after he robbed it though he's like running out and he drops his medal and the owner picks it up and he's just like there are only three people in the world that have one of these. <laughs> oh, and he's like, oh, I should have skated away. That's that's my forte. Why don't I bring me rollerblades? And um, uh, I can see you hating this accent that I'm doing. So no, much. it's it's dead on. And uh, <laughs> or Ray or what was his name? Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury was like <laughs> running away, but he had his boomerang shoes on and he slowly oh, no. changes direction. So he starts running back. Kept just, coming back. Just a laundry list of Australian slurs we're doing. I feel terrible. <laughs> it's okay. Are, are you from Australia? I lived in Australia for about like six, seven years. Oh, so, okay. But I'm from Singapore originally mm. and the accents kind of sound the same anyway because oh. of the British Empire. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So uh, he managed to get onto his national team for speed skating and competed in a few Olympics. And their team got into the 94 Winter Olympics. They got in actually being favored to win, uh-huh. which is very surprising and uh, just a inspiring story to everyone. Yeah. And they were able to win a bronze medal. So that made them, that made Australia the first Southern Hemisphere country to actually pull this off. How many teams were in? They were the only team, I think. No, they were. Wait, they were the only team (laughs) and they won a bronze medal. (laughs) (laughs) It was the boomerang skates. They kept coming back. Kept coming back. (laughs) Took them forever. I would love to see what the tryouts for before this became popular. Like if he just, like the tryouts for his, like he just showed up, he's like, good. You've got the heart, kid. You showed up. You have a set of skates. And you didn't park in my space, so you've got it, kid. And that's probably what it was. Just don't <laughs> rob my store and <laughs> I can't do that, bro. <laughs> can't make that promise. Oh my god, you're so good at this. <laughs> so um the Olympic experience actually left a very strong mark on him. This is how he described what it was like. The swimmers finish up at the first week and go to good parties and use condoms, but our event was last, so we had to close the ceremonies and then got on a flight home. So wait, 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 wait. Was that the whole speech? It wasn't a speech, but a thing that he said about, <laughs> what was it like to be an Olympic athlete? And it was just, I couldn't get to bang lots of athletes. They I... had to make us leave right after. Okay. You can't do it before? I just, so there's the mention no, of the condoms. That it really gets me. That seems like a bold anti-condom statement taken completely out of context. 
they get to use the condoms? Is it anti-condom statement? Well, the story is, are you familiar with what it's like at the Olympic Village? Yeah. I think yep. so. They just are, give out condoms because everyone's just fucking... Everyone's doing it. It's so a slippery... Everyone's slippery just rooting. That's what they say in Australia. Rooting? They're rooting. Are they yeah. tooting? They're like, rooting and they're tooting. <laughs> That's a different kink. <laughs> so, I was thinking of like pigs looking around for truffles, just rooting around. <laughs> I mean, clearly you've been to the Olympic Village. Ugh. Hey. No. So they fuck a lot at the Olympic Village, but until your event is up, you're discouraged from actually having sexual release because it apparently affects your performance. And that's just <laughs> one of those beliefs. And he was very upset about the fact that he just couldn't get some written on. So the next part of his career wasn't so smooth. He actually crashed in a race in 94 and had an artery in his thigh sliced open. So he was <laughs> bleeding out there. Oh, yeah. that's got to be so scary. Yeah. And he was competing right then so the blood was just pumping in a way that it usually doesn't bright side ingredients for sausages already cold there you go jackie <laughs> i'm gonna get my sausages back ray <laughs> one way or the other he's a locally sourced very <laughs> local he just was holding sausage a, he was just ho- in the stands holding a saw blade and he just when he came by <laughs> Little boomerang saw blade. They just cut them and came right back. They're like, what was that? You don't want to see a sausage getting made because it's auto cannibalism every time. Uh, there you go. That's where we brought this full circle. Please go on. And he had another injury. He slammed into a sidebar and he injured his head and he was actually in a cast for a few months. And the next failure was his team actually failed to place at all in the 98 Winter Olympics. And... So they were about to enter the 2002 Salt Lake game, uh, Salt Lake City games as just not favored to win anything at all. This is where we find our hero. He thought he was past his prime. He's already about 28 in these games. Mm-hmm. He's about to hang his skates up. He wants to retire right after this. He's also the oldest athlete at those games in that sport. Odds are stacked against him. And apparently his top speed at the time was laughable. So just really great ingredients for a comeback story if that actually happens. Yeah. I can't see without my glasses. Oh. If only I could bring my cane on the ice, but I can't get a skate made small enough for it. Don't laugh at me. I'm only 38. <laughs> 28. 28? Oh, I can't even remember my age. Let's see. I'm 28. That's the skating Alzheimer's can we got. We skate fast, we age fast. You sound like droopy. <laughs> yes, that's who it is. I had a stroke. <laughs> so his performance is better than expected. He actually gets into the quarterfinals, and that's great. But he's up against a Frenchman named Marc Gagnon. Can I see? What Marc about Gagnon? Apollo Anton Ono. Oh, what oh. Olympics was he at? I'm going to get right to that, it's, actually. Uh, oh, okay. Oh. It's Marc uh, Gagnon. So, Marc Gagnon, the French <laughs> defending champion, and American Apollo Ono, the rising star and the one who's actually favored to win this whole thing. I so, remember watching him. There you go. And game. only two Giant of the... thighs. Just like all of the speed skaters. A real drumstick on him. A real couple of drumsticks. <laughs> Lots of hot dogs in them. Mm. Uh, <laughs> only the top two skaters would actually get into the semifinals. So Steve Bradbury's strategy is to just hang back and let the two of them just basically duke it out. So he does take this bold strategy, comes in last. But the thing is, the French champion, whose name I will not try to say again, was disqualified because he was obstructing his opponent. So Bradbury actually gets into the semifinals. Whoa. In his semifinal race, Bradbury is just basically the least favorite to win. And now he has... Defending champion King Dong-sung of South Korea, multiple Olympic medalist Lee Jia-jun of China, and Matthew Tukot of Canada. And he's up against these just heavyweight giants. And the race takes off, and Bradbury is leading from behind. He's just way in the back. So what actually happens is all four of them crash. And Bradbury, he's in the back, so he's able to like see this crash happening, and he just skirts around them, and he goes around all of his opponents. With, as I recall, the most amazed look on his face. The most delighted look I have ever seen Yeah, I on remember a man. watching this on TV. Yeah. He's just <laughs> crazy. He's, just, he's stunned. He's not even trying, really. He's just kind of sort of sliding in. And then he wins. So he wins the, he wins the semifinals. <laughs> and he's 
on to the finals. So now he's up against like the biggest giant players yeah. in the game. Yeah, and he knows huge drumsticks. Just the biggest drumsticks. Just walking turkey legs. Two of them on skates. <laughs> quick, 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 quick. They're actually just turkey legs. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that wasn't a metaphor. <laughs> Bunch of Vikings in the crowd just licking their lips. <laughs> Why Vikings? Yeah, just the big drumstick. Yeah, and they love motif. Turkey. Yeah, love cannibalism. Because Vikings are turkey. Yeah, all Vikings are turkey. Well, this is a... St- everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a bunch of turkeys wearing those big helmets that did not have horns on them. That's a mm-hmm. myth. They had turkey wings. Yeah, that's it's right. Like- yeah, that, that's exactly correct. <laughs> <laughs> That would be an amazing helmet. You just see this like helmet coming at you. They're like, oh my god, two pointy things out. He just <laughs> pops out a drumstick and starts chewing on it. Oh, it's food for battle. I'm gonna make that. Pillaging is hungry work. Please don't make that. <laughs> it's the finals of the 2002 Winter Olympics speed skating event. Bradbury is actually 15 meters behind with 50 meters to go. That's a lot. For Imperial measurement users, I forgot to convert this. And he's already fatigued and he's slowing down. He's basically just, ah, what's the point? I'm just going to just have some fun, hang back. So that's when his four competitors crash again. (laughs) They all crash again. And he does the same thing. He just comes out of the corner. He skates around them. And he's, again, just dazed and just shocked because... How is this going to happen again? And he just slides in and casually <laughs> slides past the uh, the pileup and he picks up a gold medal. Oh. So that actually made Bradbury the first person from a Southern Hemisphere country to win a gold medal at the Winter Olympics. Oh, that's I mean, amazing. I, How do they choose who gets second place? Do they all get up and like try and cross? Yeah, pretty or much. They just, I'm just imagining them all stuck together still, just like slowly sliding over. Just a big old Katamari. Whoever, like, whoever's body part crosses first, you know? Or get those judges out that have, like, the thing and they just rate their falls. Whoever had, like, the greatest fall. I gotta say, though, even though that is incredible, like, he was still in fourth for all of that, apparently, right? He was doing really well. He was doing really well. Someone from Australia who, again, from a country that doesn't have ice or snow or cold. I'm going to say that he deserves that gold medal. <laughs> he was a competitor in the semifinals of the Olympics. Admittedly, he did, like, get there by a circuitous route, but he was in position to take advantage of that for the amount of opportunities and competition he's had. That's incredible. Who yeah. knows what he could have done, how fast he could have been had he been born in colder climes. There are more than five countries that have snow, so those other people didn't manage to get this far. So, yeah. You know, he did a great job. He did a great job. Yeah. A he- grape job. <laughs> I know. It has to have two parts to a pun, Jackie. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Australia did invent the grape. Yeah. So. Love grapes. <laughs> Just the concept of grapes. They got great wines in Australia, so, you know, they do a grape job with them. There we go. There it is. That's a book. There it is. Just like Steve Bradbury. Well, you could say it was a great job because he concord his enemies. Mm. Or rivals. I shouldn't say enemies. (laughs) (laughs) He crushed them into jelly. They all got caught in a jam. (laughs) A great job. These are are all puns. He he must tell everybody about his victory. (laughs) Grapes. All right, there we go. Oh. So that's the story about where the phrase doing a Bradbury came from. Ah. And how Australia won the first gold medal at the Winter Olympics and totally deserved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of. Tortoise, right? Slow and steady wins, wins the race. Yeah. Have you guys ever uh, Bradburyed something? Almost constantly. <laughs> I ever Bradburyed something. So to win through a series of incredible coincidences? Nothing that I think would ever come even close to how cool that actually was. Yeah, I think to Bradbury, you have to not give up immediately at the first sign of something difficult. And that's not me. So (laughs) I'd never gotten far enough that the odds were stacked up in that way that Mm. I could then achieve success, I don't think. Mm. So I've never failed. That's that's it. You've you've never failed because you've always given up. It's It's not failure if you decide not to do it. That's going your own way. That's that's right. Yeah. yeah. You only lose when you enter the competition. Like, other than that, you just could have won. Yeah. The scariest. <laughs> and that ties perfectly into our Halloween theme, because the scariest thing is not to know how you would have done. Ooh. Uh, Whoa. Wow. So, Jackie, why not tell us about your story about 
the woman whose name I am about to say, whose name is Margaret Knight. Yes. I remembered it without being shown a piece of paper from across the room. Those antics aren't going to fly at a live show. <laughs> yeah. People are going to see right through your lies, Max. They'll never guess. I'm a perfect liar. <laughs> They'll be too busy looking at my beautiful face to realize my beautiful lies. Mm-hmm. A little yep. peek behind the curtain there. A little peek behind the curtain at my beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Margaret Knight was born in York, Maine in 1838, and she grew up in Manchester, New Hampshire. She was a very creative child. And when she was later questioned, not questioned, when she was later interrogated <laughs> about her childhood. When she was later stretched on a rack with a light shine in her eyes, but then Tarogative screamed, Were you ever born? Where were you born, Margaret? Where were you born? New York or Maine, which is it? Margaret, tell us about your childhood, Margaret. It's vital for national security. <laughs> Okay, this this quote... I'm the bad cop, Margaret! (laughs) This quote is a very different meaning if it's put into the national security framework. (laughs) The only things I wanted were a jackknife, a gimlet, and pieces of wood. Oh, okay. So... Yeah. What's a gimlet besides the podcast company? It's a cocktail, but in here it's a tool of some kind yeah. I think it's like a little hammer maybe ah okay so but yeah so she was a really creative kid she was always tinkering with stuff building sleds building kites that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, and everyone knew she was very special because she had two older brothers who worked in cotton mills in Manchester and she went to visit them one day and she saw a little boy get injured when a shuttle flew off one of the um, one of the looms Ooh. stabbed him Yikes. That's that's what happened. Workplace injuries were pretty common, and it was fairly common for the shuttle to fly out and hurt someone. So she invented a safety device. I couldn't find a description of what the actual details of it were, but essentially she invented a safety device that would turn the loom off when like the shuttle flew out or it would prevent the shuttle from flying out. But it was just a great innovation that she made at 12 years old that was then oh, promptly well. adopted by that mill. Dang. Yeah. So, like, what's the coolest thing you did at 12? You did not invent a safety device. I, I used to throw shuttles at young kids mm. who were working in mills. Oh, you're yeah. the problem. Yeah. yeah. Her device was just stopping me from coming into the mill. <laughs> it's just a lock for the yeah. door. The coolest thing I did at 12. It's 12th, 6th grade or I made friends with a bunch of stray dogs. Did they make you leader? Oh. Mowgli, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> I am not. I don't think I'm going to go into any more detail. I'm going to leave it to our fan fiction writers out there, there to uh, write some fanfics. About oh my god! How we, I made friends with all those stray dogs. We said we'd read Anachronismo fan fiction if it came in. Yeah. Oh my god! Wait, but I can write this. No, it has to be from someone not involved well, in the production team. So yeah, but Beck I could, could write it. You could give ideas for it. All right, yeah. just a retelling of Jungle Book with Max. <laughs> yeah. I could rewrite something yeah. that I have right in front of me. Yeah. 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 Margaret was a very prolific inventor, but her biggest invention was the flat bottom paper bag. Oh my God. I love the flat bottom paper right? bag. Right? It's so convenient. It's I, really great. I teach so many children to make puppets out of it. Yeah. Like the actual one that we use today. The like, ones we still use today. Wow. The same exact flat bottom paper bags. Basically. They last. <laughs> The technology is basically the same as it was before. I mean, there there have been improvements to it since then, but it's still very much so in use today. Uh, I'm sure you definitely encountered one at some point in the last week, listeners, probably. At the time where she made this innovation, paper bags were basically envelopes. They weren't very sturdy. They were very narrow. You could also have a paper cone that you could hold stuff in. Like French fries. Uh, Yeah. Or you would have to, you know, wrap a package entirely in paper. So this was actually like a really big innovation. It was useful for stores, for basically just We've got some of those new flat bottom paper bags in. If you want something to hold your nails with instead of just your bare hands. Oh boy. And how? I mean, we're making fun of it, but, like, it's so useful. No, I'm just imagining, like, the day that the first paper bags came into a store to be used. I I, I legitimately think it's delightful, because before, like, oh, we just have all of these loose nails. You can put them in a box if you want, but uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to have to carry them home in this cone full of stuff. (laughs) You know, there's no cone full of nails. There's no good way. Like, you have to bring your own bags, I guess, you know, which is fine, but there's just not, like... 
Right. Yeah. yeah. I forgot bringing your own bags was a thing. I was just like, are they juggling everything they carry or are they just they big old burlap the sacks? In their <laughs> they were called the chipmunk people. And their <laughs> tale is a sad, sad tale. After the Civil War in 1868, Margaret takes a job at the Columbia Paper Bag Company in Springfield, Massachusetts. And at the time, flat bottom bags were made by hand. So they were glued and folded by hand to make flat bottom bags, which was extremely slow and inefficient. So Margaret's only on the job for a little while, and she gets the idea that they should create a machine to make flat bottom paper bags. So she tinkers with the idea, and within a month, she has a, a wooden model of what she wants it to be. And she used the wooden model about a thousand times, and it worked. <laughs> so she got in contact with the machinist who helped her to create an iron prototype. And then this was such a great idea, and it was working out so well, that she moved to Boston and teamed up with two other machinists to make the real deal. And this was like, people were very interested in it. So this man named Charles Annan, he came to visit the shop where she and the machinists were perfecting this. And lo and behold, when she finishes the machine, Margaret goes to file the patent. Mr. Annan had filed it before her. I knew it. Yeah. He came to visit her in the shop, memorized what he could of the machine, and then filed a patent. What a dick. Yeah. That's why we call them anandbags wow. to this day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's why. Yep, yep. And Margaret was having none of that because she had worked on it really hard for a long time. So she invented the plastic bag to take <laughs> care of some problems. <laughs> nope, but she, she took him to court. And she promptly won the case because he didn't have any proof that he had invented it besides just, you know, one day having all these plans. And she had records of all her different versions, testimony of everyone who saw her making different versions, and she promptly won the case. His only argument was that he actually had separately invented a different machine because they were slightly different because he couldn't remember her machine exactly when he went to copy (laughs) it. And as you can imagine, this did not hold up. But his implied argument was also, look at me, I'm a man, and it's the 1870s. It was, yes. She can't invent anything, not with that estrogen in her system confusing her mind. (laughs) She probably thinks that I've stolen her baby. Let's take any babies she'll ever have away from her like we do in this time period. (laughs) That's Max speaking as himself. Throw her (laughs) in an insane (laughs) asylum. Tie her in a giant ball of twine. Yeah, usually about half an hour, Max gets like this. <laughs> I'm cranky. <laughs> Um, yeah, so a couple a couple of sources that I read did say that he used that as an argument of like, oh, a woman couldn't have made this. Huh? But another another source that I read said that they looked at the records from from the court case, and that was never a formal argument. So it- not a formal argument, just something he screamed before walking into the courtroom <laughs> every day. <laughs> Could have been. Been. The stenographer couldn't legally write it down. <laughs> he just said it while he was in jeans and a t-shirt. And just like, this is a very informal argument here that I'm making. Yep, that's right. Look, look yeah. at me. And as we all know, nothing that is said in court while wearing jeans and a t-shirt is legally admissible as evidence. There you go. <laughs> so I did learn some fun stuff about flat bottom paper bags while reading about this story. Um, they have feelings. They're currently called SOS bags. If you want to guess what the SOS stands for. S O S. Save our stuff. Good guess. Store good guess. our stuff. Also a good guess. <laughs> As I just really stole your answer. Oh, you didn't pan it yet, though. So that's <laughs> no, fine. That's fine. fine. Shipping over snails. Mm, you were all Help. wrong. Help. Still wrong. <laughs> Is that what it stands for? Help. No. <laughs> Sauce. <laughs> Smell our sausages. <laughs> No. They're cold. No, the bags aren't only for sausages. They can singing, hold a lot of stuff. Singing or stabbing? <laughs> soap. Orphan soap. <laughs> Seducing our songbirds. No, there were two right answers and none of you got them. Paper bag or another paper bag. No, it was stand on shelf bags. Or self-opening sacks. Oh. Wait. They were very practical. That kind of makes sense. Those sound ridiculous. But every sack is self-opening. 
It's the self-closing part that's the difficult piece of technology. She didn't invent a, a closing bag. Yeah, no one has. Okay. Yeah. Wait, that's impossible. If you get supposed to close, it's a box. That's true. Have you seen a self-closing box, Max? That's not true at all. A self-closing box is also impossible. Boxes don't have sentience. If there's no one around to observe it, then an open box or a closed box is just matter. It's not a box. It's just matter. Everyone's nodding. Everyone's nodding. No. Not really. (laughs) I was, if by nodding you mean staring at your mouth slightly agape. So. As you dug a grave for yourself, but you can't call it a grave until you started digging up the earth. Yeah, after that, it's just the ground. <laughs> so by your definition, an open box is a bag, and a closed bag is a box. <laughs> okay, there's no such thing as a closed bag, because then it's a box. But what if it has a zipper? And then it's pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> so a tote bag with a zipper... That's okay. a box. So, That's obscene. <laughs> so I, I played around with the idea of talking about the history of the zipper for this episode. So I, I have some fun facts. Okay. Um, the first zippers were made for shoes. Mm. Um, and they, instead of having, you know, the very small teeth that we know and love today that make zippers, you know, easy to use, um, the teeth used to be an inch big. <laughs> an actual teeth. <laughs> That's so big. How could that be efficient for your shoes? Yeah, I mean, were the shoes like split in half? I think they were like boots. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. On either side, that's because that's two inches when it's open and then one inch when it's closed. That's huge. They're really big. Yeah. Um, and then uh, zippers are called zippers because it's a shortening of zipper up. Which that's is which itself. A, a riff on the noise it makes. Yep. Oh. Wow, that's a real close circle. Okay. <laughs> so the sound a zipper makes Is... led to the phrase zipper up, which also led to the naming of those things as zippers. Yep. Oh, the Zippo lighter is named after the Zippo because it sounded futuristic because it had just been invented right before the Zippo lighter. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Never think of those two things as together in yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah. Scant... Only related by time. <laughs> Scant years apart. Time and name, Jackie. Time and name. I have a beautiful radio voice, but only when I talk this close to the microphone. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is my beautiful radio voice. I love it. You can tell because I'm giggling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, What's your ugly radio voice? Hello, puppet. <laughs> um, so Margaret went on to found the Eastern Paper Bag Company, and then... You know, she was tired of the paper bag life. She innovated what she could. So she moved on to shoemaking, and she filed six patents around shoemaking, uh, mostly around, like, different ways to cut out the materials that make shoes and making it part of a machine, basically. Mm-hmm. And as we know, a shoe is just a closed sock. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. That, that's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. You sew it right through your ankle. Mm-hmm. Yes. It has to <laughs> stay on right until up. it goes off. Zipper up it right up. She went on to invent... Many other things, including a skirt shield, a pronged spit, a clasp for robes, a window frame and sash, a numbering machine, and then many patents related to rotary engines. All in all, she filed 27 patents and had 98 inventions. Damn. Yeah. So she had a lot of inventions. She was like, this is garbage. I'm not patenting this. (laughs) I I don't, she didn't really care too much about making money off her inventions. She was one of those people who just likes making stuff just loves inventing when she died um her estate was only worth like 274 dollars so that's in 1914 money so it's like eight million dollars today's money all the money that ever existed (laughs) do we know if the eastern bag company still exists in any way i i don't think so i didn't read too much about it but it didn't seem like it was super successful Uh but yeah just super super productive really smart inventor lady her home in Framingham is now a museum. Cool. So you can go and visit it if you're ever in Framingham, Massachusetts. <laughs> I might be. Sounds like a field trip idea. It's a challenge to me. What's the coolest thing you've ever invented? I actually have something. Go for it. Ooh. That I was looking into getting patented as a child. It was basically a dustpan with a little singlet cut into it. Do you know what a singlet is? No. Uh, no. Like a tank top with... Small holes. It's a tank top with holes in it. Okay. Oh, like a so like penny a... jersey thing? Maybe. It's for 
humid weather. So that it's, it's porous and you can sweat through it or wind can come through it. Anyway. Uh, a mesh tank top. A mesh tank top, yes. Okay. okay. A singlet is like a mesh tank top. And I cut out a piece of a singlet and put it into the dustpan so that if you try to tip it out, it would close and the dust wouldn't like fall out unless you wanted it to. Ooh. And yeah. it actually worked. And I talked to my form teacher at the time. I was maybe 10. And how can I get this patented? And he looked at me and laughed and said, this is a math class. Go back to what the and then fuck? he went off to the patent office. And <laughs> I should no, his myths to Annan. There's no way a child could have invented it. Not with all that candy floating around their system. Max, you're so grumpy. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> it's past my bedtime. Oh, that's a cool invention. Yeah, I would I've use that. I've never invented anything. I spill dust constantly. I do. Mm. Yeah. I know it sounded sarcastic, but that's just my voice. <laughs> Uh, well, you could have used that technology that I had pioneered, but mm. it's lost to the ether. You should go to Shark Tank. Yeah. I should have gone to Shark Tank. Yeah. It, yeah. it existed then. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. Shark tanks were a thing. Yeah. They they tanked up sharks. Yeah. Um, in camp, we invented a new version of Uno. Oh. It's not that much different than regular Uno, but it was, uh, I guess, you, maybe an improvement patent. Like a follow-on patent mm-hmm. we could probably have gone for. Sure. An expansion. Yeah. Like a, a method. Method patent. <laughs> Not a composition yeah. of matter. Just a method. What was what did it involve? Um, you combine as many decks of Uno cards as you have. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh you play in groups of at least twenty. Jesus. <laughs> and you die there because it never ends. You play stacks and doubles. Yeah. Um, okay. So it was just chaos. Was it called Toto? Cause, no, because everything. Uno. Yeah, Uno. Right oh, that, that's clever. <clears throat> yeah, that's no. clever. We uh, we weren't that smart. It was a fun game. But you have to have twenty friends. Well, we play. played it in camp, so there okay. there were people around. That's like eighteen more than I can do. Really, was this sock coaster thing um, on purpose? Is that a thing you do? It is. So that's another invention of Jackie's, a sock coaster. I was going to say, like... This is actually Noel's invention. (laughs) I invented that. (laughs) So, yeah, Noel invented using a sock so we can have drinks on the table we record on without uh, getting it all on the microphone. Except I did it today and better, because the socks are coordinated. A man could have never invented something to do with a sock. (laughs) Coordination? No way. These socks are pink. He didn't do this. (laughs) But if you're not there to observe it, it's nothing. Yeah. It's just matter. Yeah, that's right. If you don't if you don't see it, it's just matter. Yeah. It's just <clears throat> there. That's all it is. It's all it'll ever be. No, did you have an invention? Uh sock coasters. <laughs> that's sock mine. coasters. Um I no, I can't think of anything like physical. Like at work I occasionally if I have to like over my career have made like cool little like programs and stuff that have done things as uh-huh. far as i knew do not exist in like uh like excel or like certain office things but whatever you make belongs to your employer <laughs> oh that's true i've made nothing <laughs> <laughs> and well i mean the ip is assigned to them but you could probably i don't know if it's monetized maybe get an inventor it's, it's not it's not even worth no it wouldn't even be worth it <laughs> um yeah no i'm just a big dumb dumb uh, I've invented several coping systems for social anxiety. Oh, ah. yeah, that's um, useful. Yeah, sure. And then you can patent it if anyone tries to use that coping mechanism. You know, already sort of like in a rough spot, you can sue them. That's right. I certainly could. One of them involves just going full force and being like, uh, "I'm, I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. I, I'm kind of pretty socially anxious. So just bear with me on this, okay? Uh, people tend to find it charming for some reason." Um, oh God, it just worked just now. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I was, was going to give you so much leeway. Yeah, you get get a lot of leeway for that. That's good. Did uh, you you invented it? I, I no one taught me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I didn't skeptical. read about it in a book. I am skeptical. Okay, okay. I occasionally do that. Like if there's a conversation just... with like at a party or something, and I'm like, eh, I want to get into the group. I'll just like literally just come up and be like, oh, I'm just going to muscle my way in here and just <laughs> leave it at that. Just say how you're feeling. <laughs> Just, just communicate. Yeah, yeah. I, I invented a condiment that I called Matchup. You can guess, guess what it was? Mayonnaise French and dressing. Ketchup. It was ketchup. mustard. What? It was ketchup 
Yeah. And mustard, because you just said it. Ah, uh, damn. Uh, my yeah. secrets. <laughs> Pan that. Pan that gone. I invented a way to annoy my brother by throwing cats on him while he slept. Oh, I, I did that too. I'm gonna, oh. I'm gonna need to sue you for that. <laughs> oh, you know what? Then, I guess my siblings and I invented the game of cat torpedo <laughs> when oh, no. we were really young. Um, I was probably like four or five at the time, but we would get in beds on opposite sides of our uh like the biggest bedroom in the house and we had this little cat and we just pretended i think it was like during cold war time so i'm pretty sure it was like ussr and united states and we just tossed this cat back and forth across the room Wait, it was as cold. the missile it was a cold war times or it would have been just after it ended so like 1993 or four and yeah we would just toss our cat back and forth it i feel like your brother was too old at this point Ten. <laughs> okay. You heal fast at ten. Um, but no, the cat. Not I when mean, your cat is dead. It didn't seem like the cat. Like as far as not realizing now what cats are capable of. Like the cat never attacked us. It would just kind of like just be like, "All right, I'm here now. <laughs> Am I about to be not here in a moment? Yep, there I go. <laughs> what a chill cat. Damn. Yeah, he really, really took to the outdoors though. <laughs> For <laughs> some reason, what? always up in really high places. He <laughs> liked seeing it. Yeah. The war affected all of us. <laughs> God damn it! The patent office is still open. You could probably run there right now and mm-hmm. make bank. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we got just enough time for a quick, quick round of "What if they met?" Uh, let's just sing the "What if they met" song now. What if they met? What, what if what, these two what, people what, had met? What if they met? What if they had met? What if they met? What if they'd met? These two people. What if they'd met? What? 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 What if they had met? What if they had What if they met? The Halloween episode. <laughs> I thought you were going to beatbox. That was beatboxing. Oh, oh, single pop. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. So, what if uh, Steve Bradbury had met Margaret Knight? <laughs> oh, they could have accidentally made something great. Made a a, a man tripping device. <laughs> I feel like the Bradbury in this story would be what was the name? Aggie? Adney? Margaret. No, the, oh, the guy who. Annan. Annan. Yeah, I think the Bradbury in this case would be him winning that case oh and yeah he owns the eastern paper bag company mm-hmm. and then she sneaks into the paper bag company at night and <laughs> sets it all on fire because it's all paper and just stands back with the cla- crackling flames rising before her eyes <laughs> but then one of the walls falls onto the paper bag making uh, machine uh, and it becomes a box it. it pushes it in such a manner that it now can make folds at twice the speed <laughs> and it's improved and Anon wins again. Ah. <laughs> and it bends the girders in such a way that if you were to toss it, it would come back to you. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then she leaves for the penal colonies and becomes Boomerang Lady. Mm-hmm. Boomerang Lady. That's right. That's her name. Yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, Annan <laughs> gets sponsored by a frozen sausage company. <laughs> Just, of course he would. Who always want to pack their frozen sausages in his new improved bags. I'm just imagining this situation. Loose, loose, loose sausages, sausages in a paper, paper bag. bag. Just, <laughs> just cold, too, and they start to melt. Oh. <laughs> it's covered in freezer burn because, like, one sheet of brown paper is not sufficient. I was um, thinking this, like, terrible situation. Like, Steve uh, Bradbury is like about to leave the Olympics in the eighties, and he's just like at the village, and like they're starting to like clean up, and they're like, "No, nope, sorry, we're not, we're not giving out condoms." You know, the Olympics are over, <laughs> oh, and then he gets a tap on the shoulder, <laughs> and then elderly Margaret Knight just holds up a really tiny like paper bag. <laughs> Go ahead, use it. I shouldn't still be alive. <laughs> Go, go ahead. And it's like the Saks Fifth Avenue bags, and it just says like tiny brown bag on it, uh, <laughs> or Bloomingdale's. Yeah. Well, that's gonna do it for us tonight here on Anachronismo. <laughs> uh, 
for those of you listening at home, um, we're uh. Boy, I hope that laugh really segues well from our last set. Just like, yeah, and this would happen. Welcome to the... (laughs) For those of you listening along at home, uh, sorry if this is a bit of a rough transition. We we went off in a direction that we're not proud of for about 20 minutes. And it was... Can't, like, <laughs> we, have, we can't. How do no. we even reference this? No, no we don't. don't. We don't. Don't, don't. don't reference don't. it. Just I, say if someone uh, supports us on Patreon yeah, at a certain amount, yeah. they might at one point receive an unnamed <laughs> audio file. Yeah, so, that could be used to blackmail, and that can pay off. That can pay off an investment real <laughs> quick. Say this was mission yeah. accomplished. Yeah. So That's just head, heads up on that, audience. Um, thank you so much for listening to us this week. Uh, we had a great time. We hope you did, too. Um, so like, like we said, we're going to be performing at the YWCA in Cambridge on November 3rd, uh, doing a live show there as part of a du- double header with Improv History. Tickets are free. Find the Eventbrite link on our Twitter and Facebook page. Special thanks to Bebek for being our guest this week. We had a wonderful time with you, Bebek. I hope you had a fun time with us. I loved it. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you like our show, please give us a rate or review on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, it really helps us find uh, new listeners, and we just love seeing them. And if we see you do a review, we will read it out live on the air. Well, you know, record it on the air at the end of uh, a show. As well as the Anachronismo fan fiction yes. that gets submitted to us. Still waiting. Still waiting. We will do it. This is not a joke. This is real. If you send us Anachronismo fan fiction at, at Anac Podcast, that's A-N-A-C Podcast on Twitter, or at It's Anachronismo at gmail.com, or post it on our Facebook page, we will read it on this podcast. I want to hear it. I want. I, I, I need it now. Uh, all right. Okay. I feel I, like there should be at least some disclaimers on here. Uh, disclaimers: We will not. We will not say any like racial slurs. No hate speech. Uh, any of that, you know. And try to make it historically related. Yeah, that'd I be, mean it, that's kind of like would be insulting if it were just uh, just us and not really any historical like context behind it. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'll fucking do whatever. But you know, uh, yeah, ideally historical. But whatever you want to do, man. Whatever your muse is. Is 17 years ago historical enough? Yeah. Like a specific yeah. event. Yeah, that was like around. Ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the. Uh, we we'll let it slide this one time. Yeah. Yeah, that like was... the 2002 Olympics. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it was, it was our most recent history yet, but it's still history. It's still in the past, you know. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Our next show, we're going to have special guest Mark Camposano on to talk about the history of anonymous voting. I'm very excited for that. He is a champ. He's the Champasano. So tune in for that. In November, we are going to be joining the Make Fun Network, run by uh, Mr. Matt Bisterney. They've got Top 5 of Death, This Rules, This Sucks, all sorts of great podcasts, and soon, us too. And so we're very excited to be joining that. So we'll see you on there, Anak fans, pod fans, uh, plebs, I believe was our name for our fans. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, is there anything you want to plug um, before we go? Do a bit back? Find my sketch group, Magenta Strike Squad, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. We just do sketch comedy written by women for women, and I'm the token man in that group. So, yeah. Magenta oh, yeah. Strike Squad. Oh, yeah. Nice. Check out Magenta Strike Squad. <laughs> um, wonderful. We will see you next time here on Anachronismo. Anachronismo.